0: You are listening to the Pursuit Church Essay Podcast. We are a group of imperfect, real people on a mission to pursue God and love people. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. So today we are in week two of our series. It is called Moments, Markers and Monuments last week, um, Pastor Bob gave us a really great message and a cool story I'd forgotten all about, (laughs) about um, how situations and incidents in our lives change us. There's moments that we have that change us, they have an impact on us. And um, even today, I think about it as I was preparing for the message, I was thinking about, you know, just some things in my life that have happened that have been super impactful for me. And one of the biggest things that changed my life really forever was the birth of my oldest daughter. She's actually here with us today. And when I had let the, my life changed so differently. I was, um, I had no direction, but when I had my oldest daughter, it's like I had meaning. There was something I was supposed to be doing. So that was a big moment or a a monument marker moment in my life. Um, But all throughout scripture, we read about a lot of different people who have had moments with God that have changed or impacted their lives in such a big way. Um, I think about the story of Elijah and how God used the ravens to feed Elijah. And um, in a moment when he needed a touch, a tangible touch from God, God provided. He used birds, but he provided. And then I think about King David and, I mean, King David had a wild life, right? But in one particular incident, God used the prophet Nathan to reach out and to call David out, actually, to get his attention. And that moment changed King David's life forever. Yeah, I got Today, I want to tell you about a guy named Jacob. Jacob um, had a really powerful moment with God that not only did it change his life, it changed his name, and it changed the trajectory of his life forever, okay? But before we get to our base camp scripture, I need to give you a little context, Okay. So Jacob was a twin. And the scripture tells us that the two brothers were always at odds with each other for so long. Jacob and Esau were twins. Um, they were very different. And that wasn't a surprise because God had foretold their mother when actually when she was pregnant with the boys that they were going to be different and that they were going to be at odds with each other. They were literally fighting inside her body when, when they were cooking, right? Um, so when they were born, this is how at odds they were. Jacob was literally grabbing the heel of Esau as he was trying to come out, holding him back. And he got the name heel grabber. He also, it's kind of also, the name also means trickster or schemer. Now, before we think bad about Jacob, let me just tell you that Again, this was something God foretold. Rebecca knew this was going to be. She knew her boys were going to be at odds with each other. She knew there would be conflict. So it wasn't a surprise to her, and it might have been a surprise to the boys, but they, they dealt with it throughout their lives. Um, but God also said that the older son, Esau, would serve the younger son. And he also said that they would both birth divided nations. Which is true, because Esau went on to be part of the kingdom of Israel, and Jacob went on to be part of the kingdom of Judah, two very different divided nations that God had set apart. They were still God's people, but they were divided, and it started in the womb with these two brothers. So God was telling Jacob, I mean telling Rebekah, that it doesn't matter what the birth order is, he had a plan for Jacob's life, and there was nothing that was going to thwart that plan. I said a few weeks ago that when God has a plan for our life, there is nothing that can stop the plans of God. We might do something that gets it off, but nothing stops God's plan for our life. So let's fast forward to the boys or to the twins as adults. And just like God said, they were very different, right? Esau was a man's man. He was a hunter. He was um, outdoorsman, real burly, rough, kind of probably smelly. Um, Actually, I think he was. He was hairy too. And he was redheaded, like a redheaded guy. And um, he was very much—he was an impetuous man, and he did whatever he wanted. Actually, he even went out and married foreign women against what his parents said and against what his culture said. He was rebellious, but Jacob wasn't. Jacob was very different. Jacob was—he um, was more of a homebody. He stayed home in the tents with his mom and his family. He was um, kind of. I won't say mild-mannered, but he was obedient. He did what he was supposed to do. He, um, he was quiet, he was a thinker, he was a planner, he was a schemer. So let me tell you about that word scheme first. Again, it kind of has a negative connotation. But that word scheme is actually the root word for the word schematics. The schematics are simply a plan, written down plan, when you're getting ready to build something. It's like a design. Okay? I'm not a designer. My child is. But a schematic is just a plan. It's written down when you're getting ready to build something. So it's not necessarily a bad word, but it does describe Jacob. He was definitely a schemer, a planner. So from the birth story of these two men, we know that God's plan for Jacob's life was not thwarted. And it was put in his heart in the womb. I don't want to get off on a whole other topic, but in the womb, a child knows. In the womb, God speaks to the children. He speaks to our kids. And he spoke to Jacob, and Jacob knew. That's why I think he was struggling to fulfill that plan that he knew God had put in his heart as a baby, as an infant, as an undeveloped child. He was a life. He was a soul. So let's go back to the twins. I don't want to, again, get off. Fast forward to them being young adults now, right? Well, one particular incident set off a chain of events that had a huge impact on their relationship for decades. It caused a huge rift in their relationships. And again, Jacob the trickster, the schemer, he found an angle to work to his advantage. What happened was, another water break. What happened was Esau, remember he was a hunter, right? So he was out in the in the field. He was hunting for whatever food game and he had a bad day. He didn't catch anything. Right. And so he came back in home. He was hot. He was tired. He was hungry. And I think both of these boys might have been a little emo, a little dramatic as Esau comes in and he's like, I'm starving to death. Give me something to eat. Right. And so Jacob, because he's always hanging out the tent, hanging out at home. Right. There just so happened to be a nice big bowl of stew ready, ready to go. Here comes Esau coming in, all hot and famished, and he says, "Man, give me something to eat. Give me some of that stew. Anything. I'm dying of starvation." And Jacob's like, "All right. Again, thinking, planning. I'm gonna get what's mine." Remember, he knew in his heart. I know he knew in his heart that he had a, God had a plan for him, and he was supposed to lead. So he's thinking and he's planning and he's scheming, and he says, "Okay, okay. Tell you what." give me your birthright and I'll give you a bowl of soup. Well, back then the birthright was huge. It was significant because it meant that the eldest son would get a double portion of the inheritance. He was going to get twice as much as the others. It also put him, set him up in a position in the family as the future patriarch. So the birthright was hugely important, but in an emotional, desperate moment, Esau wasn't thinking clearly. So he said, oh, I'll just give it to you. Here, take it. Flip it. Very flippant about it. He even said, it doesn't matter. I'm going to die anyway. What good is it to me? I mean, that's crazy. To me, that's crazy. I, I, I just, that's dramatic. But so anyway, so he gave it up, right? Well, that incident, that particular incident had such a huge impact on the relationship of these boys. Now, I've always heard that Twins are really close. Like they have this twin language they speak. I don't know. I'm not a twin. I'm the baby of the family. What do I know about that? But I know my son-in-law's a twin and I know there are some twins and they do seem to have like this kind of bond. And so imagine these twin brothers that have that, that bond, but then they're separated. They're separated by their own issues, their, and even their own presence at one point. So when it came time for the birthright, and Jacob had already made Esau mad, right? But when it came time for the birthright, Isaac, the dad, was getting older, and it was time for him to bestow that honor or that inheritance onto his firstborn son. So he called, he called him in. Well, guess what? Another plan was concocted. And instead of Esau getting the birthright blessing, Jacob got it. And as you can imagine, that infuriated Esau, because then he realized what he had given up those years earlier. He realized it. He realized he had made a huge mistake but it was too late. Jacob tricked him out of it. So Esau was so mad. He threatened him and he said, I'm going to kill you. When dad's gone, you're dead. And I believe Jacob believed it. He said, my brother's crazy. He will kill me. So he ran. He took off. He ran and he ran. He was afraid of Esau. And he ran out into the desert. So now that you have a little context about the boys, if you'll stand for the reading of the word, I'd like to read our scripture for the day. We're going to be in Genesis 32. Chapter 32, verses 22. It said, In the same night Jacob arose and took his wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. There's Jacob pushing his way again, right? And he said to him, what is your name? The sun rose upon him as he passed Penwell, limping because of his hip. You may be seated. My first point today is, an honest moment with God will change the way you walk. Keyword, honest. You know, when you're tired, you tend to walk a little differently, right? You tend to, you know, kind of slouch, maybe drag your feet a little bit. You know how it is when you're tired, you're just like, eh. But when you have energy and you're excited, it's different. Your countenance lifted. You're more excited. You're ready to go. There's something in our hearts that affects the way we walk when we're exhausted or we're beat down. Jacob was tired. He was beat down. And he was sick and tired of running from his brother Esau. 20 years, y'all. 20 years of running from someone you're terrified of. Can you imagine Like arranging your life to be away from that person because you didn't know what was coming. And back then in the day, they didn't have cameras watching people. You could get away with all kinds of stuff. Jacob was terrified of his own brother, his twin brother, the one that he shared the womb with. That's sad. That's an estrangement. That's a deep estrangement. In all those 20 years, all kinds of drama unfolded in Jacob's life, right? Right. And he was tired. He wanted some peace. He didn't want to be the schemer anymore. He wanted to change. He wanted to go back home to his homeland with his family. Because remember, he was comfortable in the home, in the tent with what was familiar. He wanted to go back. He wanted to be with his family to get some peace, to get some relief, and, and to live out God's plan for his life because he knew God had a plan for him. Jacob wanted something better than the way things were turning out for him and for his family, his wives, his kids. But there was a big, fat problem in front of him, and that was Esau. Esau was literally between where Jacob was and where Jacob wanted to be. That was an obstacle, and it was a frightening, terrifying obstacle at that. And you know, Jacob was terrified of Esau, right? He remembered that threat, and he knew Esau would do it. He was terrified What do you do? That's like being in between a rock and a hard place. What do you do when you're so terrified of what's in front of you, but you don't want any more of what you're in? That's a hard place to be. So you know what Jacob did in that low moment, in that moment of frustration, and I just don't know what to do, God. He turned to God. He turned to God Almighty because he knew where his help came from. He knew who was the ruler, the maker of heaven and earth, he knew the only person that could change any of this mess that he had gotten into was God Almighty. Sometimes, y'all, we get into a situation, nothing but God can change. No matter what you do, no matter what you think, no matter what you say, no matter what your education level is, there's some things that only God can get us out of. And sometimes because we got ourselves in there, but that's okay because it doesn't stop God's plans. It never does. Jacob was ready to clear the air. He was ready to do the right thing. He wanted forgiveness and he wanted restoration. So this isn't in my notes, but this is a side, I'm going to take the sidestep real quick. Forgiveness and restoration are not the same thing. We can't get that twisted. Forgiveness is something that we choose to do. It's obedience to God. Restoration requires two parties. It requires you, and it requires the other party, and you can want it all you want it, but if that other person isn't willing to do it, then there's not going to be any restoration. God's got to work on hearts first, so I don't want you to feel condemned or convicted or anything else, guilty, shameful, nothing, because there's a rift in any kind of relationship you may have, because forgiveness is a decision. It's a choice that you make out of obedience for God. Restoration is a process, and it requires willing participants. So Jacob was ready for forgiveness and restoration. He had a willing heart to get back, to get his brother back. And and not only that, he was willing to pay that cost no matter what it was. Have you been in that place where you're willing to pay the cost no matter what? Jacob knew he needed God. He knew it. He knew he couldn't do it on his own. And he was ready to put aside everything. He was ready to put aside his own fear. He needed a moment with God. But true to his nature, before he met with God, he devised another plan. He's a schemer. He's a thinker. He's a planner. So he sent some gifts with his servants ahead of him. He was trying to butter Esau up, right? Have you ever done that, right? You want to get something, so you've got to butter people up. He was doing it. He was scheming. He was planning. He took things into his own hands one more time. And don't we all do that? Don't we all do that? We need something and we start thinking, okay, well, how can I make this happen? Okay, God, I want you to do it. I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to remind you of your promises, but I need this to happen. So how can I make it happen? We plan just like Jacob did. We scheme, we think, we try to figure it out in our own strength. It's almost like we got to have a backup plan in case God doesn't come through, right? I know I got backup plans all over the place, y'all. I mean, we have to have a backup plan. Do we trust him? Yeah, we trust him, but we still think somehow in our minds that we need a plan that's somehow better than God's. I mean, it's good to plan. God expects us to do what we can do because that's the point at which he steps in and does what only he can do, right? We are required to do what we can do. But at what point do we just stop? Do we stop? Just stop all the scheming, stop all the thinking it through, all the, it's exhausting sometimes. I don't know about, maybe it's just me. I don't know. But when you've gotten to that point where you realize that all your plans and your schemes aren't working out, what do you do? Have you been there? Has anybody been there? Where you just think, I don't know what else to do. You know, years ago that happened to me. My life was a hot mess. And some of you know my story, some of you don't. I got so many stories, ridiculous. This will go on forever. But my life was a bad mess at one point. I had been... um, I had so much drama in my life, and to be totally honest, I caused most of that drama. I was rebellious, disobedient to my parents, I was a spoiled brat. I wanted to live my life on my own, and I caused that drama. That was on me. That was nothing I could blame on anybody, and my life was a hot mess as a result of that rebellious attitude, that Esau attitude, okay? You know, and I was, I remember being at my wit's end, I was, you know, a young adult, and I had my girls and I just, I remember being at my wits end. I kept thinking, I know there's something more. I know God has something more for me, but I just couldn't, I couldn't seem to get it. I just kept making these same stupid mistakes. And I remember one day I, I was just full of myself. I was done. Actually, I was empty of myself. I had nothing left. I was at my wits end, and I knew that I was at a point that only God could fix it. I had no more plans, no more schemes, no more tricks. And I got a lot of tricks up my sleeve, but I had no more tricks, no more. But you know what? It's when we get to that point that God shows up. He shows up big. He shows up mighty because that's who he is, a big and mighty and good, good God. That's what he did for Jacob. That's exactly what he did for Jacob. And even after Jacob conceived another plan, and he knew in his heart that he had to give it up, He had a plan, but he knew he had to give it up. What does it take for us to get to that point? Think about it for a second. You know, when we realize that we've made a mess of things and we can't do anything to fix it. And we realize that we need God to straighten out the mess that we made. But not only that, we need God to show us how not to do that anymore. We need a change. We need a heart transplant. Jacob sent every single thing that was important to him, his kids, his wives, his family, his people, he sent them all away because he needed to get alone with God. He needed no distractions, no props, no things that he had been leaning on and things that were important to him. He sent them away because he had to be completely alone with God, face down alone with God. His life depended on it and the life of his family depended on it. And when Jacob was alone, that's when God showed up. He showed up mighty, too. Scripture tells us that Jacob fought with a man, but that was God. Remember, Jesus took the form of a man. That's how we relate to God, through the man, the person of Jesus Christ. So Jacob wrestled with God. It wasn't some man. It was God. And maybe it started out with words. You know, Jacob, a little emo, little, start off with some words. You know, oh, God, help me and then it just got more and more expressive cuz they were wrestling y'all they were they were struggling they were wrestling they weren't just having a chit chat tea party they were wrestling wow. <laughs> You know, it might have gotten to the point where Jacob started out praying, oh, God, you know, oh, God, have you ever been there where you, like, you start praying and you get into it and you're pouring your heart out to God and, and the next thing you know you're like, oh, God, you're, like, wrenching, you're lamenting, and maybe you grab a pillow and you squeeze it and maybe you're punching the pillow and maybe you're face down on the floor and you're, you're slobbering all over yourself and you're crying out to God because you've got to have a touch. Have you been there? I've been there. Me and Jacob, we've been there. Jacob was emo. I know he was. He was frustrated. I've been emo and frustrated. Maybe he was so wound up during the conversation that God had to restrain him. I don't know, but they fought. They wrestled. And you know what? It was a wrestling match like you ain't never seen on WWF. It wasn't no fake wrestling. His hip was thrown out of joint. He was marked. He was marked forever. The man walked away with a limp. It wasn't fake wrestling. He wrestled with God. He walked away with a limp. But before you think God was being mean, that's not God's character. God is not cruel. He doesn't hurt us. He loves us. He has a plan, a purpose. He has dreams for us like we have for ourselves, like we have dreams for our kids. God has plans and purposes. He loves us. He's not a cruel God. He's not a mean God. He's not a mad God. I don't know what you might have been told, but that is not the God we serve. That is not who he is. He marked Jacob's hip because Jacob needed a reminder. He made a monument out of Jacob's walk. God knows us better than we know ourselves, y'all. We may think, oh, I'll never forget that moment. How many times have you had a moment and you think, oh, I'll never forget that. Now you can't even recall the event, right? or how it happened, or what went down, or who was there. No, 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 God knew that. So he said, nope, I know you, boy, I made you. I'm going to mess your hip up, so you won't forget this moment. You will remember what we did here, what you said to me, what I gave you, what I did for you. That was a moment. That was a moment that God gave Jacob a tangible reminder that he hears us. You know, when we get to that point where we're done blaming other people, looking for other people, to give us what we can't, what we think we need, what we didn't get, when we get done telling, you know, other people, oh, they didn't do this for me, I need somebody to do this for me, or when we get to the point where we finally get over expecting something from someone who can't give us anything but what God can give us, when we get to that point and we get alone with God with no distractions, no props, no expectations other than a moment with God, we can change. God brings the change. And we walk away, we will walk away different when we get to that moment. And if our walk is to stay different forever, we need to remember. We need to remember. We need to let that moment be a marker. Verse 28 says that God changed Jacob's name from trickster, schemer to Israel, which means I fought with God and with man and I've prevailed. My last point is this, when we surrender our lives to God, he gives us a new name. You know, the story tells us that Jacob was not letting go of this man, right? It says he wrestled all night long. Think about it, y'all, that's a long time to fight. That's a long time to be wrestling with somebody. Or like they say in deep Southeast Texas where I'm from, wrestling, wrestling with somebody. That's a long time, all night long but Jacob wanted something. Jacob needed something. He needed something from God so that his life would be changed. He had tried to change it in his own strength. He tried to do everything he could. And it didn't work. He needed a touch from God and he was willing to fight as long as it took to get that touch, to get that permanent change from God. You know, y'all, there are some spiritual battles that we're going to have to be willing to fight. Things don't just fall in our laps. That's not God's kingdom. We got to fight and we got to stay in the fight as long as it takes until we see victory in some of those broken areas so that we can finally be free of whatever keeps leading us back to those bad decisions. Those wrong relationships. You know, I've heard it said that sometimes people have a pattern. They keep seeking out the same kind of person that they didn't work out with last time, right? There's something wrong there. We have to stay in the fight with God until we get to that, where we see this is not going to work for me anymore. Lord, I need you to take the wheel. I need you to take control. There are wrong relationships. There are addictions. There are habits that are not part of God's plans for our lives. And until we're ready to stay in that fight and let God get that out, we won't change. But if we're willing to fight, God will change us. He will honor that fight. You know those props? I'm just going to be real with y'all. I'm always going to be real. You'll get real from me. You might get fluff from somewhere else, but you'll get real from me. There are props that we all have that we use to hold us up. And when you get ready, willing, and you're finally done with those props, holding on to what you've always used, your little coping mechanisms, whatever those are, and you're ready to let things go, you're ready to stop working it out on your own, you're ready to get off that little hamster wheel, that you've been going on and on and on for all these years, when you figure out that your props, your coping mechanisms aren't working for you, then you will fight until you get what God wants to give you. So I had a problem with alcohol as a teenager and a young adult. And I don't know, I've said this to y'all before, but it was a brutal problem and it was a generational curse. I came, my father was an alcoholic, my grandfather was an alcoholic, the other grandfather was an alcoholic. It was just a line of, of broken lives and alcoholism in my family and I fell into it. Actually, the devil sucked me into it. And my teenage years, I used to hide drink in my room, in the closet, just to kind of take the edge off of whatever was going on in my life. Poor me, right? I had band, I had all these things as, a, as the only kid in the house and, and I was just, I was a mess and I drank and I drank as a young adult. And you know what though, by the time I was in my 30s, I realized my life was a mess. I had kids, I had three girls, that meant everything to me. And I was chasing an education and the alcoholism was getting in my way. It was ruining my life. It had a grip on me, y'all. And I know that that generational curse of alcoholism was a stranglehold that the devil had on my family and somebody was gonna have to fight to break it. And you know, I had a hard life. I was raising three girls, and their dad was an alcoholic, going through divorce, all kinds of other things. I just was at my wits end one night, and I was like, God, I can't do this anymore. You got to break this curse because I can't do it. This is a curse on my family. This is something I inherited. This is something I'm participating in. I am participating in the plans and the schemes of the enemy against my life. I need your help. And you know what? I remember praying out to God, and I remember asking him, and, and then nothing it's like, I still drank. I still went out. But you know what? As the months passed, I remember drinking less and less. I remember wanting it less and less. And even after I gave my life back to Jesus, I still had a struggle with alcohol. It wasn't as bad as it used to be, but it was still there. But that one night when I just was done, and I got like Jacob down the ground and wrestled with this demon, this demon of addiction, this demon of alcoholism. I literally begged God. I prayed a crazy prayer. I remember, God, please, please, God, just take away, take away my desire for booze. Take it away. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't, I can't, can't fight this fight. I had tried self-control and it worked for a while, but then it didn't work. So I asked God, just take away this desire. Well, God won up to me on that one. <laughs> it took a few months but I started drinking less and less. And I remember one night, I don't even remember when it was, but all of a sudden one night I was out with some friends from church, right? We were out having dinner after church one night and, you know, we ordered adult beverages, right? They were all going to partake. And I ordered one too. I took a drink of it and it was like, oh, my stomach started burning. I couldn't take it. It was awful. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to throw up. Had to go to the bathroom. It was terrible. And then I was like, okay you got a sense of humor. Because you know what? Not only did God take away my desire, he took away my ability. He's like, no, I know you. You need to, you need to have the ability taken out of you because you will come back. So no, I'm going to do better than that. And he did. He took away the ability. And you know what? Sometimes we pray crazy prayers to God. We, we reach out and we beg to him. I begged to God. I didn't know back then that I didn't have to beg God for anything. I didn't know that. I thought, I did what I always knew to do, right? Like Jacob. Jacob always went back to his plans, his scheming, his plan B, what had worked for him in the past. I did the same thing. I was begging to God, God, I promise you, please, 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 begging God. When do we have to beg God? He's a good father. He lavishes things on his kids. And you know what? The funny thing is, is God understood. He met me there. That's the thing. He isn't tripping on how we approach him. He's not worried about all that. He just wants us to come. He says, come on. Come on, guys. Come on. And he waits for us patiently until we do. And then it's up to him and it's up to us to stay there and not let go until we get breakthrough. And again, I wasn't cured of my addiction immediately, but I was 15 years ago. I have not drank alcohol in 15 years, y'all. That's God. That's God. Hey, y'all got to give him some praise for that, because that's a big deal. <laughs> he broke a curse. He broke a big curse. And you know, it's funny. I hadn't touched booze, right, in so long. And then this past summer, my niece got married, right? And we were going to have to see a lot of people. I was like, oh, man, I got to see these people. I might, need, I, might need a little, I might need a little vodka. <laughs> and so I tried, and guess what? My daughter even said, she goes, Mom, are you drinking? I was like, no, this is disgusting. My stomach was burning. I thought I was going to puke. It was awful. And God was reminding me, we had a moment. Don't you remember? We had a moment. You asked me and I showed up, so stop playing. (laughs) But I want to tell you, my wrestle with God was over the course of a few years. It took a while, but I walked away different and I walked away free of alcoholism. And you see, God had already changed my name when I gave my life to him. He'd already changed my name, but I didn't realize it at the time. You know, when you have that salvation moment, and I pray to God everyone in this room has that salvation moment. When you have that salvation moment, God gives you a new name. But I didn't realize that. I was no longer Karen. I was a child of God. I was righteous. I was redeemed, a royal priestess set apart but I didn't understand that. I had to learn some spiritual principles in order to walk out my salvation. Scripture tells us that you walk out, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean we gotta work to get saved. It means we got some spiritual principles to learn after the fact. That's what changes our lives. I needed to walk differently forever. And when I got saved, that was the beginning let me tell you about these spiritual principles. We have to get over that perception that God is some genie in a bottle, that we just ask him. He's not an ATM God where we just ask God and then he just delivers whatever we ask for and we have no part in the situation. That would mean that God's a welfare God. That's not God. He doesn't just give, 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 and we just take, take, take. That's not God. That's not his economy. That's not who he is. We have to get over a consumerism mentality that says, oh, I gave my life to you. Now, God, you owe me something. God owes us nothing. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. So when we get over that consumerism mentality thinking that, you know, he's just going to poof, fix us because we we deserve it, then God can do something. God has great plans for our lives, but we got to walk in those plans. And we have to learn spiritual principles to help us walk it out so that we can live the life that God planned for us. And one of the best places to start is the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest is that you reap what you sow. Now, before you think I'm getting all judgy and critical, that's not the point. We don't get what we deserve because Jesus says we don't get what we deserve. That's not what I'm talking about when I say that. What I'm saying is if you want to be changed by God then seek him, and while you're waiting, and while you're seeking, go out and sow some seeds into someone else of what you need. That's sowing good seed, and you will reap from those good seeds that you sowed. That's the law of the harvest. That's the principle of the harvest. Water break. You know, the new walk is not all that Jacob got from God. He got a new name. Our moments with God, starting at that salvation moment, they change our names. I was no longer an alcoholic. I might have still been drinking, but God had already changed my name. Jacob was no longer a schemer. He was Israel. And your significance in that name, Israel, let me tell you, in the Bible, it's mentioned in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And um, the name Israel is mentioned 2,431 times. That's second only to the word God. That's a huge significance, y'all. As a personal name, it means one who struggled with God and prevailed. But as the nation Israel, the name comes from Jacob's new name, Israel. It's given to God's people, and the meaning is the same people who contend with God. You know, the primary theme throughout the Bible is the redemption of humanity, and it started with Jacob, with Israel. We are all people here, y'all, that have contended with God, every one of us. Yet when we surrender our struggles to God, we're changed. And the key to living a changed life as an overcomer is that we don't give up. We don't give up when it's hard. We give it to God when things get really hard, but we don't give up. You stay in that fight. And you know, you have the battle won, you're fighting from a place of victory we're not fighting from a place of of weakness. We're fighting from a place of victory. We got to stay in the fight with that thought and that mentality, knowing that Jesus already won the victory for us. We just got to stay in the fight. We give it to God. We don't give up. We press through. We battle those forces of darkness that want to keep us in bondage. Those forces of darkness that have been lying to us all these years saying, you're never going to get out of that. Yeah, you will stay in the fight. God's gonna bring us through and our transformed lives, those transformed lives that we will walk through will serve as the monument to the goodness, the faithfulness, the power, the love of God Almighty. That's the point, our lives will be the monument. Like Jacob had a hip broke, thrown out a socket. Our lives will be these living monuments to the goodness of God. The fact that we stayed in the fight and we didn't give the enemy any place in our lives. And, you know, I think that's why it's important to keep a spiritual journal. And I know this is kind of old school, but I like pen and like paper. That's why I sit here and preach from a book. I like paper. But keep a spiritual journal. And I'm not talking about something on your phone. I know that's the new thing. You you put everything on your phone or your laptop. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a journal, paper, something paper. It could be a a tablet, a Big Chief tablet. Do they still have those? A spiral notebook, whatever. It can be a tablet. (laughs) It could be pencil, paper, write it down on paper because you know what? As you're pouring out your heart to God and you're writing in your jacked up handwriting crying, you'll see tear stains on that page. You'll see your messy handwriting in the future. You'll remember this is what we went through. This was me and God in this moment, in this journal. Keep a journal, y'all. Write down what you want from God. Write down what he's doing in your life. And then when he brings you through to the other side, you'll see it you'll see it in the journal. You write that down too. You know, as I said, well, that journal will serve as a monument to God. That's the whole point of that. Let that journal serve as a monument and let it remind you. Cause when you look back, I got journal, I got, I got cabinets full of books, y'all. And I look back at them every once in a while. And I remember, wow, God, look what you did. I was such a baby back then. And even when I get in my baby moments again, I go back to my journal and he's like, you're not a baby anymore. You need to act right. Stop all that. Those journals are monuments and they're precious. And you know, as I said earlier, all throughout scripture, the primary theme of the Bible is the restoration of humanity, the redemption of humanity. It started with Israel, but it ends at the cross. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we're given a new name. But you know what, God knows us so well that at that salvation moment, he doesn't leave us alone. He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to walk it out, to help us, to help us walk out the change, to help us stay in the fight so we'll be changed forever. That's part of his plan for everybody's life. You know, in faith in what Jesus did on the cross, that starts your redemption story. It sets you in right relationship with God. It gives you a new name. And that name is child of God. Not everyone is a child of God. People say that, and that's not true. We're a creation of God, but when we surrender it at the cross, we become a child of God. That's when your name changes. You know, you may have come here today, and you're tired. You're tired of fighting. You're tired of struggling. You're tired of striving. And, you know, there's some things that you're willing to let down. You're willing to lay them down because you're ready to get real with God. And if you're ready for a name change from whatever you've been known as, whether it was alcoholic like me or liar, cheat, thief, swindler, the other woman, the battered wife, whatever your name was, if you're ready for a name change, a new name, a new person, a new life, then God is right here. He's here in this moment. It's a holy moment. He's been here all morning and he's here right now, ready to meet you, ready to change your name. Jesus is reaching out in this moment. And you know, all you have to do is pray a simple prayer. And if you're ready for that change, then I would just ask that let's just all bow our heads and close our eyes in honor and respect for those that God's working on their hearts. And we're going to support you. If you're ready to make a commitment to Jesus, then we'll pray it with you. We don't want you to be alone or embarrassed, and we'll pray with you. So everybody, let's just pray after me. Dear God, because of your faithful love and your great compassion, be merciful to me. I know I'm a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me for my sin. Take away my guilt, my shame, and regrets. Free me from my struggles of living my life on my own, Lord. I believe that Jesus died for my sin and that he rose from the dead. Today, God, I ask you to come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. God, make my spirit strong and ready to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. If God is transforming your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give at PursuitchurchSA.com slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to follow us to enjoy more messages like this.